Well, again, welcome and uh, welcome everybody online and everybody watching at the Montrose building. It's good to be with you guys as well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're in a series right now uh, that we're calling The Unconventional Influencer. And uh, in this series, we're talking about a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist is a, a key figure in the Bible. He is not divine. He's not Jesus. But he did do some things that really set a great example for us, especially the way that he entered interacted with Jesus and the way that he pointed other people toward Jesus. And today, uh, we would say that John the Baptist had a big platform. We would say that he was a big influencer. We would say that he had a big brand. And what's fascinating about John the Baptist is instead of taking all of that and using it for himself, instead of deciding to make himself famous, he took that opportunity and he made himself faceless. He walked away from all that he could have had. He was a big deal in his day. He was a bigger deal than Jesus uh, because he was on the scene before Jesus was. And thousands of people listened to John the Baptist. They followed him. He had political ties. He had connections. He had pool. He had everything that we might say that somebody should have. But instead of utilizing it for himself, he took that step back. Probably the, the statement of his that kind of sums him up in a lot of ways, one that I love a lot, is in John chapter 3, verse 30. John the Baptist says he, he's talking about Jesus, he must become greater and greater and I must become less and less. And that's what he did. He was an unconventional influencer, massive influence, huge eternal impact. But that happened because he stepped back and he pushed Jesus to the forefront of his life. And so we've been talking about that and uh, online, on the app, on the podcast, uh, there's all kinds of ways to listen to those conversations. Kind of laid a, a big foundation for that. Uh, the first week, last week, Pastor Todd jumped in and walked us through this idea how truth is love. And when I tell you the truth, I'm actually loving you. And John the Baptist was that way. Instead of like just accepting where everybody was, kind of letting them discover their own truth, he faced them with some difficult things. But in reality, he was being incredibly loving toward them. So this weekend, I want to kind of move this conversation forward a little bit. And uh, we're going to take this path. I, I want to show you a search that everybody is on, including you. So like every human being, me, you, everybody is on this search. And this kind of jumps out in a big way when you're reading kind of what John the Baptist did and what his story is a little bit. So we'll look at that. And then I want to show you like John the Baptist's example and all of that. And then I want to spend some time asking you two questions, how this stuff shows up in our life and see if we can surface some things and understand some things about our relationship with Jesus through it, okay? So we're going to start in the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 3, it's page 833 in the Bibles in the chairs if you want to use those, or this is on the app, or uh, just use your phone, but we're going to camp here on these two verses this weekend. So Luke chapter 3, verses 15 and 16 Here's the context. Uh, John the Baptist is kind of hitting the stride in his popularity. In fact, I'd say at this point in his story, he's at the peak of it 
all these people are coming from all over the place to hear him teach, hear what he has to say, and hear his message. So this is, this is not just pre-social media. This is pre-printing press, right? So for all these people to be coming from all over the place was a very, very big deal. The people are coming to John. They're hanging on his every word. He's got a message. It's a spiritual message. He's got a brand. He's got a platform. And they're coming to him. And they ask him this really fascinating question. And then he gives them a really clear answer. Verse 15, chapter 3. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. And they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize you with water. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, right? So people are coming and the Bible says they're expecting the Messiah to come soon. What that's talking about is this. Most of these people who are coming to hang out and hear from John the Baptist would have had a, a Jewish background, which would mean that they were very familiar with the Old Testament. And the Old Testament or the first half of the Bible has a lot of prophecy in it. And that prophecy points to the coming Messiah, right? Now, Today, we know that that's Jesus. So Jesus is the promised Messiah. He fulfills hundreds of Old Testament prophecies. But at this point in the story, Jesus hasn't shown up yet. So the true Messiah isn't publicly on the scene. He's been born, but he doesn't come publicly on the scene here for a little bit. We'll look at that next weekend. So these people are looking at those Old Testament scriptures and they're understanding those things. And they're saying, man, this public, this, this, this promised Messiah, he's supposed to show up in this way, in this place. All these people are supposed to follow him and understand him. Is John, are you that guy? And should we be interacting with you as the Messiah? And should we be thinking of you as the promised Messiah? What should we do with that? So they start to ask him, are you that guy? You got the brand, you got the message, you got the platform, you got the influence. Are you the Messiah is what they're trying to, to figure out. And they come to John and they come to him and they're, they're looking at him. And what they do in asking that question, if he is the promised Messiah, what they're doing is they're revealing something about their humanity which is actually true of all of us, right? So I want to look at this for a second. So they come and they say, are you the Messiah? And when they do that, they're revealing a search that we are all on. Because I'm going to argue here for the next couple of minutes that every human being is looking for a Messiah, Right? So they come and they ask John that question. They're expecting the Messiah. They're eager to know whether John was the Messiah. Now, what is a Messiah? Let's talk about this for a second. A Messiah, that word just means deliverer or leader. It means deliverer or leader. So for the ancient Jewish people, 
The Old Testament Messiah was someone who was going to deliver them in their minds from their political uh, position, from being a conquered, oppressed people, and then lead them to something great. What Jesus says about him, who he is the Messiah, is I am your, Messiah, I'm your deliverer or leader, but I'm doing that spiritually, not culturally. You thought my kingdom was gonna be the reestablishment of Israel. My kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And I'm delivering you from your sin and I'm leading you to a life and a life more abundant. The word Messiah just means deliverer or leader and the people come to John and they're saying, are you our deliverer are you our leader? And in that question, they are revealing to us the same search and the same question that every human being has. Are you, can you be my Messiah? God created us in such a way that every human being has to have someone or something or some philosophy sitting in the Messiah seat in our life. We were created to search for a deliverer or for a leader or what we would often say created to search for God. And it's not because we're weak and it's not because we're broken and it's not because we're sinful. It's because we were created in the image of God. Therefore, we must satisfy the God question, right? So we're the only part of nature that does that. Squirrels don't pray, dogs don't go to church, cats are of the devil. I feel like I've taught you this, right? And so only human beings have to satisfy the God question, not because we're weak, not because we're broken, not because of sin, but because we were created to search and long for God. Every human being will have a Messiah in their life. We will have a person, we will have a philosophy, we will have a truth that leads us and delivers us and guides us, right? Now why? Because God created us that way. We all need comfort. And so we need to know that there is something greater that can comfort us. We, we, all, <clears throat> we all need to know that if we dial some version of 911 in life, somebody will pick up that phone. That's why 90 plus percent of people in North America pray. Like I need to know or I need to believe that there's a higher power, that if I call on that, power, that there is somebody on the other end of that life. We all need definition and direction. So every human being on planet earth has some type of a life philosophy that governs their life. And we would, well, I have my own philosophy. Well, there, you just made my point. We're either going to find one, we're going to adopt one, or we're going to create our own, but we all are looking to be led. We're going to have somebody speaking into that in our life someplace along the way because we all need a Messiah. We're going to have a person or a philosophy or an idea or a structure that governs us because we were created to have that 
need met. Everybody has a Messiah seat in their life and somebody or something will fill that seat. And that's all these people were doing. They, they have that same need because they were human beings just like us. And they're looking and saying, I'm looking. I'm looking for a leader. I'm looking for a truth. I'm looking for a direction. Are you it, John? Because you're dynamic and you have authority and you make sense. And, and man, I, I could follow you. I mean, well, are you what our heart is longing for? And they ask him that question, right? Now, this is where John's example becomes so powerful. Because you think about the power of that. When somebody would look at you and say, are you the one that I should be looking to? Are you the one who speaks truth? I'm willing to follow you and what you tell me I should do and what you tell me I should think and the direction you think I should go and the life philosophy, I am willing to place you in that Messiah seat. It, it is the longing of every famous, every wannabe influencer, every politician, every coach, every, everybody in us somewhere longs to sit in that seat and John had the opportunity to do it. But instead of stepping up and doing some version of, well, I kind of am, sort of, could have, you probably should, he steps back and he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not who you're looking for. And you see this incredible example of the unconventional influencer where he answers them in verse 16. And he, and he says this, he answers their questions by saying, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be a slave, untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with water. John steps back and he says, no, you're not looking for me, but I know the guy and he's coming and he's coming really soon. And he's not like me. He's not a different version of me. He's not, you know, we're not, we're not kind of like the same. You should buy both of our books. He is greater, so much greater, that when you find the real Messiah, you're gonna kind of forget about John the Baptist, right? This is huge. When I look at John's answer, I see a couple things. I see his example of stepping back. I also, when I look at his answer, I find this fascinating. I find it fascinating that he didn't rebuke them for asking the question. He didn't look at them and say, what are you doing, dummy? Hey, did you read the Old Testament correct. He didn't scold them. He didn't yell at them. He actually understood the impulse. He understood the need but he made sure that he took that need and he took that desire and he pointed them to the truth and we'll see next weekend that it's Jesus. Sorry to give it away, but it's Jesus, right? And he points them toward the truth and he says, this is the guy that you actually need. I know that you need a Messiah. I'm not him. And this Jesus is who you need, right? Now, all of that leads me to a couple questions. 
a couple questions where this is going to show up in real time, real life, in our life right now. And I want you to kind of wrap your head around these two concepts, right? Everybody needs a Messiah, and I'm not him. Everybody needs a Messiah, including me, and I'm not him, for you or for me. And that's what you see play out here in these couple of passages here in Luke. Everybody needs a Messiah, and I'm not him, right? And those two things are critical in our relationships with each other, and they're critical in our relationships with God, right? So I would ask these two questions. Here's my first question. The first question is this. Who is your Messiah? Who is your Messiah? That's a basic, fundamental question of life, right? Now, we showed up church this weekend. We came to Montrose. We dialed in online. And so everybody knows that the church answer is Jesus, right? It's supposed, you're supposed to say Jesus. When you're in church, when in doubt, just say Jesus, and then you'll probably get by, right? So Jesus. So I get that. I know that we would say that Jesus is the Messiah, and that is a correct answer. That is what you see play out at Christmas. That's what you see play out through the New Testament. Jesus is, in fact, the promised Messiah, Right? That's what we say. But that doesn't necessarily mean that that is true in our life. So if I stop and I press into that question in my life and I ask that question personally, who is my Messiah? Who is sitting in that seat in my life? How I answer that question and the truth with which I answer that question absolutely defines and directs my life. So how would you figure that out? I would ask myself questions like this under this one. Who's my Messiah? Well, how do you tell? I would ask a question like this. Who has the most authority in your life? Who has the most authority in your life? Jesus. Does he though? I mean, who, who actually has the most authority in your life? And who's program, philosophy, life structure do you actually yield to and follow? I remember years ago, uh, years and years ago now, I was in youth ministry and uh, we were training this group of kids to go on this three-week mission trip to Brazil. And so uh, Heidi and I were doing everything from making them eat funny food to teaching them how to like do puppets in Portuguese and all these kind of things, you know, and, and just getting them ready for this trip. And one of the things that I had the kids doing is I wanted them to read a certain book of the Bible. And so I'm like, I want you guys to read that book of the Bible and here's this many verses in a given week, take notes on it, bring it back, tell me what you learned, all those kind of things. And so I was doing that, sending the kids home with homework every night. One night I got a, a phone call from a dad and a dad's like, I want to talk to you. I'm like, okay, I answered the phone, so go ahead. And uh, he said, he goes, I don't know who you think you are. And I'm like, well, I'm, my name's Jeff. Like, I don't know, I'm not sure what conversation we're having right now. And he goes, I don't know who you think you are telling my kid what to do with his life. I said, I don't understand. 
He goes, you're telling my kid that he's got to eat this. You're telling my kid he's got to, he was in a skit. He's got to memorize all these lines. You're telling my kid that he's got to read these verses. And you're telling my kid that he's got to write notes on it. He goes, you're chewing up his time. He's busy every night. And he said, I don't think you have any business telling my kid what to do. So I said, well, let's talk about this here for a minute. I said, your kid plays football, right? Yeah. I said, your, your football coach tells your kid when to show up at the gym, what his lifting schedule is, gives him a diet plan, mandates that he does after school study halls, tells him what to dress, uh, what the dress code is, tells him to memorize a playbook, tells him who he's allowed to sit by at lunch, tells him where he has to show up and what time he has to be at the bus. I said, just for reference, have you called the football coach and had this conversation with him? He tells your kid when to go to bed and then calls him if he's late to lifting. Are you having the same conversation with him? And what that father, and we talked about that, what he had done is he had chosen a Messiah. This person has the influence and this person has the authority. And you don't, and it's not that I should be the Messiah and the football coach shouldn't, He said, I was trying to point your kid toward the true Messiah and the football coach wasn't and you're mad at me. And you start asking this question, who tells you when to get up and go to bed? Who tells you what's right and wrong? Whose authority do you yield to? Jesus, are you sure? Because you didn't in your girlfriend's apartment last night. I don't think Jesus was in charge. It's Jesus. Are you sure? Because you made a big financial decision and the Bible talks a lot about money and I, didn't, I, don't, I don't know that Jesus was in charge. I mean, let's be honest about it. Because somebody is going to sit in that seat. And John the Baptist would say, and there's only one person that belongs there. So who is the Messiah in your life? I would maybe ask this question. I was trying to figure this out. Whose voice fills your head? What do you take in? The Apostle Paul says in Romans, he says, faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. And and it's odd. The Bible talks a lot about what we hear and what we think about. Why Why would God talk about that so much? Because it's the way that our life works. Ready? Here's something for you. You can get this as a tattoo if you want. Probably a full sleeve. Here it is. What I, what I take in my ears fills my head. What fills my head fills my heart. What fills my heart defines my life. What I take in my ears fills my head What fills my head fills my heart. What fills my heart defines my life. So what do I take in? 
from the from the music to the Netflix series to the podcast to the talk radio to and when you take that Jesus is my Messiah when you take all of that and you weigh it against like scriptural intake time in God's word worship time teaching about God's truth as opposed to teaching about politics somebody's going to sit in that seat somebody's going to sit in that seat somebody's going to lead you Somebody is going to be your hope of deliverance. See? Who do I listen to? And the last one I put here was just, whose approval am I seeking? It's God, family, career. I'm like, are you sure? Because, I mean, I know that's what you're supposed to say, but is that... Because I, I wouldn't be surprised if mom trumps God. Or husband trumps God. Or boss trumps. Now I'm just asking. But I just want us to see this. That need for a Messiah is universal and timeless. Not because you're weak. Not because you're dumb. And not because you're sinful. Because you're created in the image of God. That seat is going to be filled Right, And John knew that. Somebody's going to sit in that seat. right? And we would look at that and say, well, who's there? Like truly, like for real. Who's there? And how are they governing and directing my life? Okay? So somebody's going to sit in that seat. Ready? Some, you're going to have a Messiah. And you're not it. And that's what John knew. He's like, yep, you need a Messiah, and it's not me. There's somebody greater, so much greater, and that's who you want to find out. And this is what I find a lot of times. The second question I would have is this. Are you embracing a Messiah complex? What I find a lot of times is we will get into the Messiah seat. And the people, it's fascinating, they wanted John to be the Messiah, and he's like, I'm not the Messiah. And there would have been a collective like groan and disappointment that he wasn't what they wanted him to be. And so he's like, yeah, you need one, but I'm not him, right? And so we would ask that question. Do I have the Messiah complex, right? And we wrestle with this. I think we wrestle with this. I think we wrestle with this on two levels. One is, is an intentional way that we put ourselves in the Messiah complex, right? Here's what this would sound like. Anytime that we would say any version of, I must live my truth, I've just put myself in the Messiah seat. Anytime we would say any version of, I should be true to myself, I just put myself in the Messiah seat. Any version of, I gotta go with my gut, I just put myself in the Messiah seat. Any time in my life where I'm doing anything other than seeking out the truth and the wisdom and the direction of 
the true Messiah. I have put myself in that Messiah's seat, right? And that's a seat, you can sit in it, we just don't belong in it, and we are incapable of managing it. Because if my truth was gonna take me to happiness, wouldn't you have happiness by now? If my truth was gonna take me to relational peace, wouldn't you have relational peace by now? If my truth was gonna relieve anxiety and worry and depression, wouldn't have those things been relieved by now? If I could answer those questions with my own truth, why would I ever linger in those points of pain? So the Messiah seats just over all of our pay grades, over all of our heads. But we will slip into that seat right? Because a lot of times we do that because we're scared. A lot of times we do that because we don't know what else to do. A lot of times we do that for some of those same reasons that these folks did it. They saw something or like, maybe that's the Messiah. And I don't know another one. And so I'll give a, I'll, I'll go with John the Baptist. But if I have that Messiah complex where I've slipped into that seat, I'm sitting in a place that only belongs to Christ. Sometimes we do that intentionally. We also do this unintentionally like I said sometimes we're just scared sometimes we're disoriented but sometimes we sit in the Messiah's seat because we love people and I love you and I want what's best for you and I think what's best for you is what I think I love it when my kids care about what I think I love it when they try to make me happy. I love it when they try to please me. I think it's great because I love my kids and I think I know what's best for their life. And when they do what I think is best for their life, it pleases me, right? I'm not trying to be a jerk. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to control, but I've just put myself in the Messiah's seat where you're responding to daddy instead of to your heavenly father. I got a call um, uh, this summer. I was talking to our, our missions agency that we send our missionaries with, uh, Encompass World Partners. And uh, the head of it, he said, hey, I want to bounce an idea off of you. He said, I want to have a vision campaign. I thought, okay. So I, I thought he was trying to raise money for something. Maybe we're going to open up another mission field or something. And he said, here's the slogan for the vision campaign. I was like, okay. He goes, the slogan is, let them go. And I thought, that's a weird way to raise money. Like, let your dollars go, your checks go. Like, what are we letting go of? And I, I said that. I was like, Dave, this is kind of a weird way to raise money. He goes, oh, I'm not trying to raise money. I go, oh, what are we trying to do? He said, I'm trying to get new missionaries to the field. So our, our, we need young missionaries. We need energetic missionaries. We have new opportunities. We need missionaries to go to the field. And I said, why are we saying let them go? He said, because the number one thing that we face, the number one obstacle we face with sending new missionaries to the field are the young people's parents and grandparents. I said, that's fascinating. I said, do they all hate Jesus and hate missions? And hate? He goes, no. He said, they all want what's best for their kids. So they don't want their kids to be unsafe they don't want them to be unhappy and they don't want them to get behind on the American dream. So they won't let them go. They won't support them. And that's fascinating. 
What are those parents doing? Unintentionally, nobody's being a jerk because I think these parents do love Jesus, they do love their kids. What are they doing? They're putting themselves in the Messiah seat. And they're asking their children or grandchildren to listen to them instead of pointing them toward Christ. Know him and know his will and know his purpose for your life. So who's your Messiah? It's a really powerful question. And then do you have a Messiah complex is a really powerful question. And John the Baptist would look and say at this scenario playing out here, verse 15, 16, he's like, guys, I I know what you're doing because everybody's looking for a Messiah and I am not him. But I know him and I can point him to you And I want you to know him. And he is greater, so much greater. When you encounter the real Messiah, these longings that are driving you to ask me are going to be met in him. These areas of your life that you're hoping you want me to lead you and and deliver you, I, I can barely lead myself and I can't deliver myself. John the Baptist is going to be beheaded by the king for telling him the truth about something. He couldn't deliver himself from that, let alone deliver you. He's like, I'm not your guy, but I know the guy. And the guy is Christ, and that's who you need to know. And so when we think about this, I'm looking for a Messiah, and I am not the Messiah. But I have to look and say those needs need to be met by Christ alone. Because these Messiah needs are going to show up in our life all the time. All the time. When you're anxious and scared and you need to alleviate that fear and anxiety, and you turn to anything other than Christ, what that is, is the Messiah need surfacing in your life. Let me show you this, right? So we'll come to these points in our life where we'll say, I'm empty and I need purpose. Like the rat race is killing me. I don't know why I'm going to school. I don't even like my life. Why am I doing these things? When I feel that way, That is the Messiah chair needing to be filled. And you can chase that down a thousand ways. I'm going to go have fun until my face falls off. That's what I'm going to do. And it will, it will not meet that need. I'm going to, I'm going to go and I'm going to, I'm just going to volunteer, 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 volunteer. And I'm not really trying to serve you. I'm trying to fill that need in me. You can do all that you want, but that need and that emptiness is the Messiah need in your life. And when you feel that, Jesus would look at you and he would say, hey, I'm the the bread of life. When you feel that hunger pain in you, you're not looking for an adventure. You're not looking for a volunteerism. You're longing for me. And I can fill that in you because I am the true Messiah and I'm the only one that belongs in that chair. 
When, when I feel directionless and lost and aimless and what am I doing and why am I doing it? Is it a career change? Is it to shift your major in school? Is it to, what is it that I'm looking, that's the Messiah needs surfacing in your life. And Jesus would look and say, guys, I'm, I'm actually the light of the world. Like when you feel lost and confused and overwhelmed, if you'll embrace me as the Messiah, I can walk you through that. When you're anxious and you don't feel safe and everything's out of control and I want to take control and I want to manipulate, I want to put up barriers, I want to know every detail and I want to, and I feel angry. Jesus would look and say, that's your Messiah need. That's your longing for a Messiah that's surfacing in you. That's why you feel that way. And, and I'm actually the good shepherd. I will protect you. I will shield you. I will help you. Because I am what you are looking for. When you're overwhelmed with grief and loss, and I can't even think straight, and my, I feel numb, and I feel like I can't even communicate what's going on in the depths of my heart because I am smack dab in the valley of the shadow of death. What is that pain and what is that grief and what is that void that's exposing your need or longing for a Messiah? And Jesus would say in those moments, I, I, I'm the resurrection and the life. Like if you, if you would let me be that Messiah, that deliverer, that leader during this time, it, it's amazing what the hope of salvation and heaven and resurrection, how that serves as a salve for grief and loss. So that I grieve, but not like one with no hope. Because my Messiah is greater than. See, he's the 911 who will pick up the call. When I'm looking for truth and direction, should I give my life to this? Should I, should I just get into this? Is it spirituality? Is it health? Is it fitness? Is it money? Is it something? Jesus would say, well, I, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm the only thing that you can invest your life in that will always make sense all the time. It's a comprehensive plan for your life. Everything else is gonna fall short in one way or another. When I'm feeling lonely and I'm like an outsider and I just graduated from high school and my friends went off to college, I'm here all by myself and I don't know what to do now and I'm frustrated and there was just a breakup, Jesus would say, I'm, I'm the true vine. If you could let me be the Messiah in that moment, I could connect you to myself and push life through you. And all of these needs and all of these longings are not necessarily sin. They're not necessarily brokenness. They're not necessarily weakness. They simply awaken this core Need that was wired into us by God to search for him. You're not longing for your addiction, alcohol, drugs, pornography. You're longing for your Messiah. 
You're not longing for safety and security. I need more money. I need to live in this area. You're longing for your Messiah. You're not longing to be married. I hate being single as source. You're longing for your Messiah. And when the people came and like, John, we have longings. Are you what we're looking for? He's like, no, I'm not. But I can tell you who you are looking for. And he'll actually satisfy you. And he'll actually help you. And he actually loves you. And by the way, he actually showed up, right? And he didn't say this part, but I will. And I'll introduce you to him next weekend, right? Because John looks and says, that's the guy. That's the guy. He's got to be greater, greater. I become less and less, right? Everybody needs a Messiah, and you're not him. But he is available, and he loves you, and he knows what you need, and he knows what you long for. And that's why he made himself nothing, took on the nature of a servant, showed up in our lives so that we could know him, interact with him, and be filled, be filled by him, all right? Okay. Band's gonna come out. Maybe you can bow your heads and close your eyes with me for a minute. And maybe we can just kind of review those questions for a second, right? Who's your Messiah? Somebody's in that seat. We have to have somebody or something in that seat. We have to. Or we lose all hope and direction in life. Who's your Messiah? And are you sitting there? Living your truth, going with your gut, being true to yourself. I suppose it's a great thought because it's an easy answer. But the Bible says there's a way that seems right to us, but in the end, it leads to death. Because whoever's in that Messiah's seat is who I worship. It's who I believe in. It's who I think my salvation comes from. And if that's anybody but Jesus Christ. So maybe in these still moments we search our heart. Maybe in these still moments we ask God to reveal truth. Maybe we slip out of that seat and invite Jesus to sit where he belongs. Jesus, in all of this, would you meet us here? Would you meet us here? And God, any aspect of our heart that is not, is not yours, that we would hold back or hang on to, would you help us? Would you meet us in that place? And with your grace and your mercy and your truth, would you help us to position our hearts correctly and yield to you?